You're listening to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hi, everyone. Oh, <sighs> how's everyone doing? Uh, message me. I want to know. This is, ugh, I just can't believe this is still going on. You know, like most families with young children, this work-life balance thing has gone completely out the window. Uh, we're in Los Angeles. I have a newly turned three-year-old and a six-year-old and I have a husband who's on this medication that makes him immunocompromised. So we've been home since mid-March just trying to hold down the fort, trying to carve out time when we can to work. My husband and I did just sell a screenplay that I'm so excited to share with you all. Um, the news, they're like, yeah, we're, we're making a movie together. And it has to do with pregnancy and motherhood. And I'm. it's just so nice to have something to look forward to <laughs> right now. And I'll let you know more about that later. I'm sure Adam will elbow his way onto the podcast <laughs> to discuss. He misses being in the hot seat over here. And yeah, it's funny. We live together and we're with our kids all the time. But I know I'm not the only one. Who, like I miss my partner. I miss alone time with him. I miss being able to go on walks when we had someone here watching the kids. It's harder to carve out time for everything now, right? <sighs> So I'm just trying to give myself some grace. And I hope you're giving yourself grace as well. Like that's the word that just keeps coming up for me again and again over the past several months, grace. And I'm really, you know, I didn't think I would need this much stamina. Yeah, if, if this were a marathon, this is the mile where I crap my pants, I think. Like I'm just done. <laughs> I'm roasted. I, uh there is a chance that we're going to have an exciting little adventure coming up. So check out my Instagram at Atomic Moms. There might be beautiful photos or there might not. Maybe it won't happen. I, I can't count on anything anymore. Like, how is it August? Seriously. Yeah. So this conversation that you are listening to is a really fun, silly, you know, free-ranging mom conversation with actress Tamman Sursak and red carpet host Roxy Manning. They co-host the podcast Women on Top, and they invited me on their podcast several months ago, and we finally got it together to record, and we ended up talking for three hours. So listen to this conversation and then head over to Women on Top for the other part of our conversation, there was just so much to talk about. And especially with all of us, you know, stuck at home, we none of us wanted to shut up or stop recording. It could have gone on for another six hours. In this part of the conversation that you'll be hearing, we talk about social anxiety. And I mean, is anyone else's social anxiety just going through the roof right now? Like someone invites you to hang out like a socially distanced hangout and like, how do you feel about that? And then there's the pods and then it's like the kid play date thing. And oh, we get into all of that. We commiserate about being our child's only pandemic playmate. 
I mean, there's so much pressure there. And we also talk about, you know, the struggle of making adult friends, especially in Los Angeles, which is such a Hollywood, like just such an industry town. Tamin Sursak is an Emmy-nominated, Logie Award-winning actress, producer, director, writer, entrepreneur, and platinum-selling recording star. She's graced the covers of over 150 magazines internationally, and she's been seen globally as the face of Pepsi and the face of L'Oreal's luxury skincare brand, Biotherm. You know, she was also known for her role as Miley Cyrus's nemesis on Disney's Hannah Montana, which you know how Sabrina loves nemesis <laughs> I got to get her watching that. Oh my God, we should go find it. I remember taking my baby sister to see the Hannah Montana movie a million years ago when we were visiting my grandparents. Okay, Ellie, back to the bio. She can currently be seen on the freeform primetime show Pretty Little Liars as the role of Jenna Marshall. And her producing, writing, and directing credits include the scripted comedic TV series Aussie Girl, Steve's Big Date, and the movie Wailing. And she's also producing original content for her own channel with Awesomeness TV. She has 1.3 million Instagram followers. And Roxy Manning is a celebrity interviewer, on-camera entertainment host, social media influencer, and fashion expert. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of the popular style and entertainment website, redcarpetroxy.com, which has exclusive behind-the-scenes interviews from Hollywood illuminaries such as Kate Blanchett, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Serena Williams, Kim Kardashian, and Tom Ford. I asked her about, you know, what it's like being on the red carpet because she has gone to New York Fashion Week for 14 seasons. She's also done Oscars Week, Golden Globes, the Cannes Film Festival, and the Super Bowl. But this is my favorite part of her bio. As the daughter of a Pakistani immigrant, Roxy feels it's important to lend her voice to spread the message of inclusivity, diversity, and empowerment in the media and beyond. And so together, they co-host the podcast Women on Top. So you're going to check that episode that I do with them after this one. Yeah. just. Forget all their accolades and their follower numbers. Consider this just a conversation between three moms in quarantine. I will be right back with Tamin Sursak and Roxy Manning. Okay, Tamin and Roxy. We just spent over an hour on your podcast. <laughs> so I an would hour say- hour and 30 minutes. Uh, it was a good one. It was a good one. I would say that we have gone through foreplay and now- we done, Yeah, we're right. We're, we're, we're down right. to business. We're down to the hot and happy. I, two I and a half warm. minutes of business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta pull the goalie. What? <laughs> This is never. how we always start. Never again. <laughs> never pulling the goalie ever again. Mine wasn't even a goalie. Mine was like, oh, we're good to go. And I'm like, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> what? I actually threw the pregnancy test at his face because uh, we were told not, because this is a whole nother story for another time, but we had so many miscarriages for the second one. And so we weren't trying. So I was like, you know what? My body has to heal. And then I remember he was like, everything's good. We had sex. I'm like, everything was good. And he's like, yeah, everything's good. And then I feed on the stick. I was pregnant. I threw it at his head. And I was like, told you. <laughs> Now that is a really great pregnancy announcement. <laughs> so heartwarming. Yeah. Okay, like I'm having a baby. It was like I told you. <laughs> I knew this would happen. Wait, so and then 
how did you uh, warm up to it then after the fact? So it started well, with rage yeah. and then, yeah. and then <laughs> well, was to there, be fair, yeah. to be fair, um, my first daughter, it was like planned. I peed on the ovulation stick. He was at a meeting. I was like, get back from your effing meeting. We're having a baby now. And he was like, there's seven people in the room. I'm like, I don't give a fuck if there's seven people in the room. So he raced home, had sex with me and we got pregnant with her. Super easy. She was 10 pounds, nothing wrong with her. So then I was like, I wanted <laughs> super this- easy, 10 pounds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they cut her out. Sorry. I have to say they cut her out. So everything's intact. Thank goodness. I tried to push her out. Thank- she was thinking of me. Wait, my by the way, also, goals- wait. Also, total humble brag. Like, so everything's still intact. Yeah, everything's in, well, everything's intact because, again, she was know, thinking I'm of me. Kidding. She got herself, she got herself caught. Brag. Well, my stomach's not intact. My stomach, like, okay. everything's yes. ripped in that part. Um, but downstairs is fine. I love how we're starting your podcast like this. I, war- I warned our listeners. We are war- an hour and a half warmed up. <laughs> okay, so what was I saying? And no wine. This is just sober. Um <laughs> Okay. So then, so then I wanted to have a second baby and I was like, it's going to be easy. Okay. This was five years after the first, I couldn't do it less than that because I just thought motherhood, it was, it was Mm -hmm. like a train came through our lives. I was like, wow, no one really talks about this and the identity crisis and raising children and how hard it is and how financial it is, all of it. Right. And so I was like, I've waited five years. I was like, I'm going to have another baby. So we tried and I got pregnant. So now we're all laughing and now we're all going to cry because yes, I'm being very open about what happened. And I, the baby was 12 weeks and I was in um, the ultrasound and the woman was like, I'm so sorry. The baby's like, that is, is her heartbeat is not there. So I remember falling to the floor and just crying. And then we actually had to like birth the baby the next day at home. So now, I feel like this is, we were very on a high and now I've like brought down the mood. Um, but then we tried to keep getting pregnant and we, ke- we kept uh, losing the babies. So it was a funny story, but I was told to wait a year because my body had to, mm. um, had to like just heal again, you know? Yeah. And also mentally I had to heal too. Like I wasn't in a very good place. It was probably the worst anxiety I've ever had was after that first miscarriage because I'm a control freak. And I, I, it was, I realized that this is something that I can't control, you know? And it's hard too, because I did have one daughter and I know how hard it is for some people to not have any children at all and how mm-hmm. heartbreaking that must be. But it was also heartbreaking and I feel like all pain is valid, right? It was also heartbreaking trying to have our second and feeling like that would never happen as well. So I feel like everyone's story is valid and everyone has their own pain that they're going through. So anyway, so then I was told not to, you know, make sure that nothing, mm-hmm. make sure you use protection. Yeah. Don't pull so, the goalie. Um, don't pull, don't the, pull goalie. the goalie. Back to that. <laughs> so this was two days after my period. Um, and he was like, I'm not going to pull the goalie. And I was like, awesome. You rock. And she is one and a half years old. Her name is Lennon. She's a firecracker and she was born at 10 pounds as well. <laughs> Amazing. She's got a 20 pound of baby at her house. I, I mean, feel like we just shocked your <laughs> listeners. I'm going to shut up for the rest of this podcast. No, I'm done. I'm out. No, 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 no. It's really, all of this is important and valid. And I was just reading in the New York Times this morning um, that a lot more women are going to have to have their miscarriages at home because mm-hmm. of yeah. the pandemic and mm-hmm. COVID. So this mm-hmm. is on, you know, this is a part of life and it's difficult and it's really, um, it's nice to get to laugh about how you got pregnant 
unexpectedly so quickly. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to give a lot of women hope. So thank you for Mm -hmm. sharing that. (laughs) Um, Roxy, we were just saying on y'all's podcast, Women on Top, everyone, that you were also a little reluctant becoming a mother. And I shared there that I was like super reluctant. I waited so many years to have a baby. My husband would have had it immediately. It. I love, I still say it. Yeah. <laughs> I was motherhood two, going for there. Two, <laughs> She's like the thing, the thing that yeah. walks around and has a name. Yeah. My two children. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so that I was just really getting into my mindset at the time. I actually had done stand up about not wanting to have children. And then, um, and then I found out I had this massive bone dissolving tumor in my leg right after the standup. Like I was like limping during that. Uh And then it was like, the doctor said, you cannot have a baby for a year Uh to bring it back to you, Tamman. It was the doctor said, don't have a baby for a year after this tumor surgery because it could mess up the baby. And I was like, okay, yes, another year off, like another year, like I have before I become a mom. And it's been the most incredible awakening for me. And I can't imagine not being a mother. And it's obviously like what I put all my heart and soul into with the podcast. I mean, obviously I prefer talking about parenting over actually parenting 90% of the time, but it's, I thought I'd lose my identity and I actually like really came into myself. And I'm curious, like, what what were your pre-kid thoughts, Roxy? And like, and where are you now with them now that you have so, a six-year-old? Right, six years old. You know, it's interesting. It's like going back to what you're saying about not knowing like what it's like, is the grass greener on the other side? You know, not knowing what you're what you don't have. And I think I definitely had that. Like I didn't know what I was missing because I too went through most of my adult years and life, like not really desiring to have kids, you know, like mm-hmm. not really wanting to be that mom. I mean, I definitely babysat growing up to like a few kids, you know, and I think we were talking on my podcast and or our podcast and you were saying how it was like more of an entrepreneurial thing. And I think for me too, like I wanted to make money. It was a, a an ends to a means, you know, like making money, having some, you know, cash, stuff like that. And then, you know, I got to college. I actually got into a debate with, I will never forget this guy in my English comp class, my freshman year of college, who stood up because I said, I didn't want to have children. Mm -hmm. And he said, it is your duty (gasps) as a woman to have kids. And we got, yeah, it was gross. We got into it back and forth, back and forth. I mean, I was literally so horrified that this guy said it, that like, that was sort of like the expectation, I guess, for most people, you know, it's like, you're a woman, you should have a baby and this and that. Mm. And it was funny because I always saw myself getting married Mm -hmm. um, at some point, you know, but I never really saw myself being a mom. And I actually envisioned myself getting married a lot later in life than I actually did. Um, You know, I was really into being, you know, 
single and like living life and traveling and going out and doing all the things. And I think because I am extroverted and a social person, you know, that sort of played into the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I met my husband and he want, he's one of six kids and he's the baby of the family. Mm -hmm. He wanted to have kids right away after we got married. He's Irish Catholic, like comes from a large family, you know, in the whole Oh, you are asking for it (laughs) subconsciously. You are going to get out of that. More than one. (laughs) Right, right. And so finally, you know, like, well, he, you know, he, you know, at the beginning of the marriage, I was just still too young and like still wanted to do what I wanted to do and, you know, selfish and all the things. And, but so finally we sort of got to a place and I never, I didn't, I wouldn't say like I changed my mind about it because I still wasn't sold on being a mom, Mm -hmm. but I think you know, we obviously had sex, we weren't protected, you know, I, we weren't being like that cautious, but at the same time, I wasn't like, I want to get pregnant. I want to have you were a playing baby. with fire. Do you yeah, know that's what I mean? A thing. Yes. It's a, you're right. I was playing with fire. You know, we weren't being that cautious, but like, again, I, I we did not, I did not, I was not prepared for being pregnant. Like it happened. We kind of think we nailed down like the time when it happened. Like we weren't really sure we were traveling. We had friends in town. We were drinking, you know, having a good time. And then suddenly, you know, I became pregnant and I was like, Whoa, shit's about to get real. You know, like <laughs> this was like legit real. And I will never forget. I sat down with a group of friends to dinner and literally we were sitting at Chaconi's and it was a, a girlfriend's birthday. And I was like, guys, my back hurts. And I'm like, oh God, my boobs are so like swollen. <laughs> and I'm like, and then they were like, Roxy, have you gotten your period? And I was like, oh, how do you God. not know that, Roxy? Know. That like, I know to the day when it's coming. I'm like, oh, it should be here in a couple <laughs> hours. But we're about so to right. have it. She's like, oh, have I, am I six days late? Like, how do I not know that I have a baby in my stomach? You're like, like one of those special. teen moms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So totally. they poop it out in the yeah. toilet. Yeah, exactly. You're like, how did you not know you were pregnant? Totally. I'm like, when you don't know you're pregnant, like literally they were like, we are leaving this dinner right now. We're going to another friend's house. Oh gosh. You are going to sit on a stick. <laughs> did you? With your yeah. friends? Oh yeah. Yeah. In the bathroom, like sitting there watching. Yeah. Like, With your friends, like, not your partner, not your partner, no, your friend. No, okay. Got no, it. Got it. And they were like, you're fucking pregnant. You know, <gasps> like, so I pulled the stick out. Of course, like, like that's how you found out with all your friends that's drunk at a bar. <laughs> no, at, the, at her, at her, her house. house. Sorry, sorry, it was sorry, classy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was, it was a classy restaurant. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's so a like, fancy restaurant. Uh, <laughs> so I never like actually told this story even on our podcast. But yeah, we were oh, sitting good. around. I the you heard it here first. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> this is how it happened. Uh, but yeah, so I like we were literally like, oh my god. Like, I mean, I didn't even know what to do. So I proceeded, my husband had gone out with some of his friends that were in town from New York that night. So we didn't really talk until the next morning, but what? Go, you didn't yes. talk about how did you go to sleep pregnant going, Oh shit. I've had a few drinks. Oh, let's wait. Let's was, wait. Let's well, just go to sleep well, first. What we did was we we'll sleep it off. <laughs> we we'll, we'll go away. This little yeah, thing will go away in the morning. It's an issue right now. So, yeah. Someone has some avoidance. <laughs> Totally. I'm like, am I really pregnant? Are we sure? No, but we wrapped the pregnancy test in a box and I gave it to him as like a gift. Oh, sweet. Here's my pee. But he didn't know what it was. What? He thought it was uh, like a pot pipe. He was like, oh my God. I was like, stop. 
David. Yes, he literally. <laughs> He's gonna like, like yes, yes. I was like, uh, no, uh, you're gonna be a father, and he was just like, oh my god. Like he, it was like shocked, but then he like laughed a little bit, and he was like, like it was like all the emotions, like Aww. all at once. And that was it because he also wasn't expecting it. But long story short, it is like the best thing that has ever happened. It's We're like, it is good, like, guys. Yeah, yeah. It is the so best like, thing. And... Scary went off. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's interesting coming from a place of not really wanting to be a mom to now mm-hmm. has been such a transformation because mm-hmm. now I like couldn't live without her. You you're know a good what I mean? mom. It's, I think you're oh, a really no. good mom. Yeah, you, sweetie. That's so nice. I mean, I don't know what happens behind closed doors, but around <laughs> me, you seem to be like you seem to have your shit together. You fake it nice. You feed her. You give her water. Yeah. You let her go to the bathroom. Alive, yeah, I kept her alive for six years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> In quarantine, anything's amazing. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's. I find that having the low expectations for oneself is helpful, at least in the early days. And same with, you know, they say the same thing with giving birth. Like we never know oh, truly yes. how it's going to happen. And so my best piece of advice to my girlfriend Claire Coffee has been on the podcast multiple times. <laughs> She's so sweet not to bring it up because it's probably the worst advice you could ever give <laughs> an expecting mother. Um, but with if you're when attempting an unmedicated birth, I was like, you know, it's like when you're just really drunk in the back of a taxi cab and you just have to like give over all control because you're not in the driver's seat anymore. And I and now like in 2020, like that's not a good thing to share. Like listeners, you know, daughters of listeners never be drunk in the back of a taxi cab. It's not safe. <laughs> but I was just trying to say like, just to give over all, you know, give up the expectations, but also like, you got to just relax into it and let your body do the yeah. work and like, trust yourself and trust the preparation. And then also just know that like, whatever happens is going to happen. Yeah. And like, that's advice I have to give myself on a daily basis now. Cause the second I try to white knuckle it and I love to control everything. There is no control, but no. there is no control. We're all just drunk was- in the back of a cab. Yeah. <laughs> that's what life, that's what 2020 feels yes. like. That's for sure. Well, and I think parenting, especially, cause I will say that that was my first lesson in having to give up control is the birth plan because I actually wanted to do a vaginal Same. birth, mm-hmm. right? And I ended up having to have a C-section because she was breached. I did the whole version thing where they tried to turn her in my stomach, which was God awful. Um, And, uh, you know, that was like the biggest, that was the biggest lesson for parenting for me, for like letting go of control. And I was still protesting it the day that she was born because I was late to my own C-section. Because I was so mad yeah. that I had to do that. Because it was not the plan. Oh. And the C-section's the worst. Tammy, so you terrible. had it too. Yeah. Ellie, did you have a C-section? I had two vaginal births. Of which course you, you did. Oh, know. Home beautiful births. Like no, that, they right? weren't home. They weren't that, home. Yeah. That's you. I very appreciate mm-hmm. that. Because actually on a previous podcast um, – with, I think it was probably Britta Bushnell, any expecting mother, go listen to that podcast. After you listen to our other part of this podcast with Women on Top, go listen to my episode with Britta Bushnell because she is this incredible childbirth expert. And and we, I made a judgment about another, I like 
caught myself being judgy about like moms who have the home births with the siblings at home. Because I'm like, how is that See, possible? I wanted that. I wanted that. And it that. seems amazing. So I am actually so flattered that you think that I'm that mom. And it's I also funny totally how we categorize. We it on live stream. We would have oh, watched no. it. Like we've all been sitting eating out popcorn, like typing like, you got this, you got this. I know it's painful, but you're so close. No. I wanted I, that birth. Uh, I, yeah, I had two hospital births because I'm, you know, I definitely do have that controlling part of myself. Like there's Mm -hmm. a part of me that, um, loves the idea of medicine and being, and I'm also a catastrophizer. So, uh, that's why scenario all the time, right? But I, I had a, uh, a doula with both births, uh, different doula actually switched OBGYN, switched doulas. Um, both were unmedicated births at Cedars. Oh my gosh! Wow, unmedicated. Yeah, yeah. I wanted that. (gasps) But that sounds like challenging. You know, hidden birthing classes. We had a doula. We spent thousands of dollars on. I was completely out. So medicated. My doula that I spent so much money ended up being a photographer. (laughs) That's great. At least you got something out of it. Okay. But the thing that people don't prepare you for the C-section is, you know, I firstly, mentally, I felt like I lost something for sure. I felt mm-hmm. like I lost the ability to be a woman because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to birth the baby that I wanted, like the way I wanted to birth and the way a woman should birth. Don't we love those words, mm-hmm. should? Mm-hmm. And because I wasn't able to do that, I felt like I was less of a mother. Mm-hmm. And I mourned my C-section birth for many years. Then the only way for me to overcome that loss was to have another C-section birth with my second, almost die from it because we almost had a uterine rupture. And the mm. fact that the C-section saved two, three of us, both my girls and my life, I am so grateful for modern medicine. Mm-hmm. And I put my mental stuff and mess away. And I thought, you know what? I'm still a badass mother who gave birth the way that my body was able to give birth. And I think we all need to support all mothers in every way that they choose. It's a choice. They mm-hmm. choose to deliver their children. And I can't stand it when people shame other people for like their choices when you don't know anyone's but, story. And I'll jump know. in here and say it's it's not always a choice. Like we're saying right, it's a right, choice, right, but it's right, not right, a choice. Right, right. Like, and maybe even if it was, a, if it wasn't, yeah. And to honor how the feelings that come with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't have that experience. Um, I have you've spoken to many friends and, and people on the podcast about it and, and that sense of loss and, and, you know, people's knee jerk reactions of like, well, you know, you got the baby out of it or like everything turned out and you're like, but that's so dismissive because that person experienced something and, and they have a lot of feelings about it. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, like Tim and how did you not, you know, not get over it, but own that that's part of your story look, I went through a lot of shame. I went through a lot of guilt. I actually started um, this website called Bottle and Heels, which was a, which is still a community for women to connect. Because I, when I first had Phoenix, I was 29, which is pretty young for mothers these days. Mm-hmm. I was in Los Angeles, an actress. Um, I was pregnant on the show Perdue Liars. I didn't have any friends or people in my community that had children. 
And I lost my identity. I felt really alone and I felt scared. And I was like, you know, nowadays we have like apps and we have, you know, ways to connect with other women and find people in our community that we can band together and like talk about this stuff. Even this podcast and talking to you has been like therapy. But I didn't feel like I had that six years ago. So I tried to, so I created Bottle and Heels so we could share other women's stories and connect. And I think that was a huge healing um, it was, a, it was, it was really healing for me. And, but it takes time, you know, pain doesn't just go away and it doesn't, it's not just linear. It just, it, it moves around and it bounces and it breaks and it becomes a part of you. And it's a scar that's like etched in you. And my husband always says a scar is stronger because that skin has broken and healed together. So it's like, you'll always feel that, you know? And so I had that scar for a long time until my second daughter, Len, was born. And then when she was born, I was like, excuse my French, I was like, I don't give a fuck how my babies are born. I'm like, the fact that these humans are mine and I birthed them and I created them in my body and I would die for them, who cares how they come out? You know what I mean? And I think that is when I was like, huh. It was all the noise that was surrounding like how you're meant to and should give birth. That was affecting me more than how I actually felt about it, you know? And I think that was a long answer to a short question. No, but. <laughs> I'm curious though, also like coming from Australia, because you moved to Australia when you were like three or four, is that right? So I moved from South Africa to Australia and then I grew, I was uh, working there on a show right. called Home and Away. Um, which is kind of a mind f- because you're very successful, very young. And then, then where does that go? Like you, mm. you get all the accolades and the validation and then you're 21 and then you come here, no one cares. And then you have to build yourself up again and your life up again. And when that validation isn't there, who are you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so when I came here, I was 21 years old and I was alone and I had two suitcases and that was it. And I was not going to leave until I felt like I made it, you know, and I had no one. It can be very lonely here. You know, I follow a lot of Australians on Instagram because everything's just so beautiful there. Yeah. <laughs> and the people are so beautiful there. My first crush when I was four years old was an Australian boy. Josh Australian. Was he cute, mate? Was he cute? I'm such a man. <laughs> so cute. My dad's, my dad's best friends are from yeah. Australia. And we, anyway, I mean, so cute. Uh, mm. But I think you know, from what I metabolize through Instagram, it seems as though, you know, the natural birth stuff, like all of that, you know, flowy dress, this is how Mm -hmm. we live. Everything's, you know, organic, like that, that could feel like added pressure as well. Do you feel like you got that sense of what giving birth should be like from growing up there or where did that come from? I think it was more, funnily enough, I think it was more California. And I think Okay, it was yeah, more, you're right. We're all the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, the funny thing about Australians is they're very, what you see is what you get. And you probably, you know, see the ethereal ones, but most of them are like, I mean, the women are like the guys. Like, we'll say it like it is. We'll drink you under the table. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's something that does happen in Australia where like, and I don't like if, if they call it the tall poppy syndrome. Like if you become successful, it's better to just all stay the same. And like, there's things I definitely love about Australia so much, but that's, a, that's something that I do like more about in the States where if you 
if you have some success here, they, they embrace it, you know, they like it. They like to, um, to like be part of your journey of, of success. Um, but I felt like in California, you know, especially with learning about doulas and learning about, you know, the, the postpartum 40 days, not leaving the house and, um, learning about like, you know, the natural way to give birth and all the things that I had spent so much time educating myself on, I felt like I was doing it wrong. And I had problems breastfeeding as well, like a lot of problems. And, and I felt guilty about that too, because I felt like I wasn't a woman unless I was breastfeeding my child for the period of time that I should have been until she's six or whatever. And I would have loved to, I just, I just couldn't. Um, but yeah, I feel like the pressure is everywhere. I don't know if it's just Australia or if it's the U.S. I think it's it's pressure on mothers. Um, I think that's the epidemic. I don't know if it's you know if it's just a certain place. I think the pressure is women and the pressure is mothers um, is mm-hmm. so high. And I think that's why women feel a lot of the time that they they are letting everyone down and they're not good enough. You know. Mm-hmm. So Roxy, I'm curious where the idea of women on top Mm. then came from (laughs) and Tamman, but Roxy first, like how did you guys decide, how did you meet? How did you decide to collaborate? So we met, well, first off, our daughters go to school together. Um, And um, so they're in school together, but I think Tamman and I actually met perhaps socially uh, through a mom's group. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're both in um, beforehand, but you know, it was funny. She and I got to talking, and I remember, like, I don't know if you remember this particular conversation, Tamman, but like, we were in the park. It was like the going back to school picnic or whatever, right? And um, w- the kids were playing. The husbands were like on the side, and Tamman and I just sat down, and we were just like talking, 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 like mm-hmm. rapping out, like. It was just such an easy, flowy conversation. It was mm-hmm. just, but it was like there were so many interesting things that we talked about, and there were so many funny points, and there was just this sort of natural rapport that we had. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Tamman asked me, she's like, "I'm thinking about doing this podcast," <laughs> you know, like, I'm like you're doing it with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you're the one. Okay, and you're so the one. Will you marry me? She got down on bended knee. She had a rose. It was like the bathroom. She's like, I like you more than the people I like right now. (laughs) Totally. totally. And I was like, sold. We're in. No, but we just, we literally, it was like timing and, and meeting each other. And it just was this really organic, like natural, easy, flowy conversation. And Mm -hmm. we get each other's humor. We both have like dirty senses of humor. (laughs) Like we can't really shock each other at this point. No, really can't. (laughs) Really can't. We really know too much about each other. Seen you naked. Seen us naked. (laughs) Yes. We, We literally have seen each other butt naked. We've other people have gotten naked on our podcast. Yes, they have. <laughs> on women on top. That's all we know. Wait, 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 wait. Pause. How yes. are you naked? Like you guys get naked with the mic? No, 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 no. <laughs> Roxy and I went to get a facial, and then by oh. the end of it, we're like, oh, we'd like a boob lift, and we'd like a tummy tuck. Oh. So we literally standing there naked at the facialist appointment, okay. and they've like drawn all over our bodies, and they're like, oh, you can do this. And I remember, oh my god, the guy says to Roxy, he's like. Like, oh, I'm just going to inject this into your butt. Like, you, yeah. you can just have it. And she goes, okay, I would like that. I'm like, what is happening? Okay, so it was a plastic <laughs> surgery place that does facials, no, it was, it was as facial, they do. Yes. But as like, they do, and I have to explain this, because, you know, in 
uh, my mother-in-law in Michigan would. It was a blood facial. It was a vampire one. Vampire facial. It was a vampire. Oh my god! I feel like I'm talking to the Kardashians right now. <laughs> it didn't even work though. We're like, uh, no, we look the we're same. Like, yeah, we're like, he's like, it's going to be very drastic when you leave here. It's going to be like an amazing change. And we literally like called each other. And we're like, uh, do you look at me different? I go, do you look the same? I and I go, yeah, I look the same. Do you look the same? She's like, yeah, I look the same. I'm like, that was a waste of time and money. Okay, well, so wait. So, Tamin, what is your most, uh, like, if you were to look back on your archives, like, and you were to pull out, I'm, I just keep thinking about wine because it's past five o'clock. And I want to just, like, imagine that we're, like, in the wine cellar of Redmond on top. And it's, like, you pull out a bottle. And it's just, like, a gorgeous bottle you want to open for your, all your new friends listening to this podcast. Which episode would it be? Like, who's the guest? And what did you learn from the conversation? You never know who you're going to get. That's for sure. Right, Roxy? Right. Yeah. You just don't know. I mean, we had a food blogger come on who's got a massive brand. Um, and she ended up talking about working, like, as a sex line like what, what did she work on? She worked on sex line <laughs> yes, and how like yes. people would like all the stories and it just devolved into, I can't even believe the things that we talked about on that podcast. So you just don't know exactly who you're going to get. I mean, I do think that Roxy and I, in the beginning, I think we were nervous because we've done this now. I think we've got 67 episodes or something. In the beginning, we were nervous. Yes. So we would, we would open some champagne. <laughs> And we would, and, drunk. yeah. And so the first, like, I'd say 10, we were drinking champagne and our guests were too. Yeah. So when people drink a little, you go, you just forget that you're being yeah. recorded, right? So we got stuff from like pretty big celebrities. We're like, I don't think your publicist what? is going to want you uh-huh. to be saying this because uh-huh. people forget that, you know, a lot of people are listening. Mm-hmm. But I think for yeah. Roxy too, her and I, like when we felt like everything changed for our podcast and when we had that pinch me moment, I think she'll attest to this too, is when we had um, Christian Chenoweth on. Yes. Just because we loved her so much and we were such fans. And so when she was sitting across from us and then saying things like, this is one of the most fun I've ever had in mm-hmm. like a podcast or an interview because we're just talking about the real stuff and there's no bullshit and we're saying things that people think but don't say. We're like, did he just say that? You know, <laughs> I think that was, I, I'll let Roxy talk, but I think that was, um, that was a pinch me moment, definitely for me. Yes, a major pinch me moment. And it's funny too, because when we get, we get so many messages from our listeners and, you know, people who support us and they just say, you know what? I feel like I've been out with my girlfriends. Like, yeah. and we like, when I listen to your podcast, it's like, I have gone to a bar and had a glass. And I'm a little drunk. I agree. It's so right? fun. It's so yeah, fun because it's so there's no fun. holds bars, like no holds mm-hmm. bars. There's nothing that's off the table at women on top. We talk about everything. You know? But you also research. And like, I wasn't expect like the first time I listened, cause like the beginning is so much fun and it's like just very conversational. And it's like girlfriends, but then you start asking serious questions. And like, yeah. I was like, Oh God, <laughs> I've been asked to go on their I'm show. Like, what are they going to ask me? I'm not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Cause I was like, shoot, they do their homework. Um, you, you know, what's it, and that makes it, you guys are like sneaky deep divers. Like <laughs> yeah. you don't know it's coming. And then you do get like really incredible insight out of your guests. And it's, it's so much fun to listen to Roxy being a red carpet host. Like how do you handle 
the energy and the vibes and like, does it obviously must fill you up, but I get so anxious mm-hmm. at those events and there's so many lights and then the cameras everywhere. And then the idea that you have a very finite amount of time to get mm-hmm. the information you need to get out of that celebrity when the stakes are so high for them. And I'm sure their eyes look like they're deer and headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you stay in the zone when it feels like there's chaos all around you? Well, God, I feel like a dinosaur at this point because I've been doing it for like going on, I think 15 years now. So for me, I do, I thrive on that energy. I love being in the middle of all the action and like, so it's chaotic too. I mean, it's like, you've got 10 celebrities, big people coming in all at the same time. And you got to get every interview with every person and get something good. You know, it's like, and that's, sort of the level, you know, it's like you get to a level where you have to, it has to be like those one-off things that no one else is getting that people are excited to listen to you about, you know? So for me, I just sort of, I just be, I'm just present. Like I like to just be in that moment. I like to, I always do my homework, you know, research is always key, Mm -hmm. but I like to be natural about it and let people like, let it be conversational, you know, and let me make people feel comfortable. Because that's when I feel like I get the best out of them Mm -hmm. is when they feel really comfortable with me. And more often than not, when that happens, people say, oh my God, I felt like I forgot that it was an interview. Like it felt like I was talking to my, you know, best friend or whatever. And, and that's the way, you know, I love for it to be. So we, you know, bringing that to the podcast, to Women on Top has been mm-hmm. also amazing and fun, although it's different, you know, because different. you're not, mm-hmm. you're not in like a red carpet setting. It's still super exciting. And, but it is interesting that you have as your co-host, a celebrity, like that's such right. an interesting marriage to have. I so don't feel like that. That's interesting. Yeah. It's weird because mm-hmm. I've been acting. Well, it'd be weird everything. if you but did it's... say that, wouldn't it, <laughs> yeah, And I, you're like, well, I, <laughs> I have a, like a million of followers. I have so many followers and people love me. What is this accent that I'm doing? Um, I, I, I've never felt like that. I just always felt like it was a job, you know? But now I feel mm. like a celebrity, so thank you. <laughs> Well, I think that is also what is so cool and unique. <laughs> I'm going to talk like this for the rest of the... Yeah, you're like, I'm definitely a celebrity. As, I'm a definite celebrity. But you definitely know how to turn it on. Like, even yeah. when you're kidding, like, your eyes just, like, got a little sparklier, though. Like, like you know, you're telling me to act? Oh, my God. I'm like, so bad. Well, and I think, too, especially on our podcast, like, that's what the beauty of it is that Tamin and I bring, like both sides of like our personalities mm-hmm. and like our skill sets and everything. And it yeah. just comes together so seamlessly. Totally. You know, it's like, yeah. you can have, you know, you can have a little this, little that. And it's like up with my shit for sure. And like in the beginning, she's like, you've got to stop talking. Like stop <laughs> talking. But the thing is like, every I'm actor has to, to hear that. I'm used to like, I'm used to someone like Roxy being on the red carpet saying like, Hey, tell me about this. So when we're in a podcast, I'm like, well, let me tell you my opinion <laughs> because you, you've been yeah. like, you've been yeah. trained like that for mm-hmm. over a decade mm-hmm. to like, t- like they ask you questions and you answer. So it's been right. a transition to go, okay, you need to put your ego in the box and start listening. And the thing is when mm-hmm. I stop talking and start listening, I'm, I realize how much you learn in life. It's yeah. like, you gotta, you gotta listen to really take the nuggets of information to make your life better, you know? 
Yeah. Well, and conversely, just like piggybacking on that, I've had to go the opposite way because I'm used to asking everyone questions and then and shutting up. Yes. I'm and like, Roxy, to- Roxy. <laughs> and now I actually have to talk about myself, which is not like the easiest thing for me. I feel so- you. You just made me do it on your podcast. It was like, wait, no. Can I just write down your questions and ask you them back to you? Like, do I have to answer this myself? Totally. I feel you. Yeah. We, right. You end up in these comfort zones or, or right. like, yeah, the giver and the taker. And the it's like, it's a, it is very challenging because we have to be so present when we get, do both, right? The giving right. and the taking. And like, yeah. uh, we were talking on your podcast about uh, relationships and during quarantine and, mm-hmm. you know, being in Los Angeles, I feel like we are, uh, we're such guinea pigs. I mean, we were the first ones to go on lockdown in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And then we're the ones who are still like, you know, California's doing terribly with yeah. their COVID rates and things just shut down again. And we haven't left the house because as my listeners know, I'm a crazy paranoid person with a husband with an autoimmune disease and I want to keep everyone safe, but this has been going on a really long time. I have decided to listen more to podcasts and music and listen less to the voices in my head. So I just like wander around the house now with my uh, little like AirPods and that has been really helpful to me. I can do so much as long as I'm listening to something else. Mm-hmm. and not the voices in my head. So I will yeah. put up my iPad like on the kitchen table and I'll go on Hulu and watch Real Housewives or old musicals, whatever, mm-hmm. while I'm cleaning the kitchen. And as long as I have something else that I'm that listening to, mm-hmm. I can like tune everything out. And my children and husband know that if I am doing the dishes, which my husband also knows, like I hate everything domestic. Like same. I, would, I, I, I We're the same person. We are. I am curious, both of you, what is one thing? Now I feel like we're in a game show. This is exciting. I love game what shows. What is, I want to know, what was high on your list of aspirations that first month of quarantine that you thought during lockdown you would have figured out by now, but have completely given up? Bake the perfect banana bread, obviously. Okay. I bet you did bake the perfect banana bread. Remember, really I was making I was making biscotti the first week. I was like, what? I have two and a half hours to make biscotti. Oh my god, I made everything. That was really? But oh what have god. you failed at then? What what think, what have you? What I, think, is, I, I want to know like what you didn't creative because yeah. you know we're content creators as well as mm-hmm. you know my husband's a writer director. He just got his movie greenlit. Don't know what's happening with that. We have a show, Aussie Girl, which just got picked up. It's, it's kind of your story. We wrote it together. Um, I haven't even told my yeah, listeners. No, we, we oh. co-directed it together. We co-wrote it together. It's called Aussie Girl. It just got picked up by Pluto, Roku, um, IMDb TV. Quibi's looking at it. And then a movie oh. that just came out called Breaking for Wales that my husband and I co-wrote together. He directed I'm In It. Breaking for Wales is on Amazon and uh, Hulu. Um my point was, I thought, okay, so normally we create outside in the world, but now we're together 24-7 means we're going to be like shooting videos and writing funny sketches and we're going to be doing content for Instagram and TikTok and all this kind of stuff. And we, because look, some people think TikTok is just fun for us. It's a business, a side business. So we thought we were going to come out with like screenplays and you know all these videos <laughs> And I can't even figure out how to find time to pee because I have a one and a half year old 
who literally, when I was writing the questions for your interview, Ellie, she was, I actually want to take a picture. She was on top of my head. She was sitting on my head. And I was like, this is why I get nothing done. (laughs) You know, I don't get anything done. Or my other child's in front of TV and then I feel bad about that. And then I'm trying to exercise because I know that's good for my mental health. So I just thought I was going to be a lot more creative. But, you know, we were talking before about grace. You know, we've never been through anything like this before. And Glennon Doyle said um, some, somewhere, I think it was on her Instagram, she said she thought she was going to write her entire book in this quarantine and she hasn't written one page. And I think we just have to give ourselves grace that we're doing the best we can with the situation that we've been given and the tools that we have. Like, we can't just throw an entire family stuck together or even you by yourself if there's if you're not married or whatever and just expect us to thrive. Like we're going through something that's pretty extraordinary Mm -hmm. and it's also horrific at the same time. Like you can't, you can't put, you know, we we can't tell everyone how they're meant to be or how to feel in something like this. And that word, I just like that word. It's grace. We just have to give ourselves grace because we do for other people. We give each other grace Mm -hmm. and our children grace, but we don't give ourselves that. And it's like Groundhog Day, right? There's no, there's no, <laughs> like, no it's Groundhog different. Day. <laughs> you know, it's Groundhog Day. It's over, and there's it's it's the same. It's the same every day. So it's hard to get inspiration when nothing changes, except your conversations, or you know, you're you're staying at home. You're not going to the places you were going to before. For me, I don't know. I don't know if you guys feel the same, Tamman and Ellie. But like, but like inspiration, like I derive yeah. a lot of inspiration from the outside world, yeah. and it's yeah. like you're not getting that, you know, anymore. So it's like, where does it come from? When you, you were know? getting it from the outside world before, how were mm-hmm. you getting it? Was it meeting people in person? What was it? So for me, I'm very sensitive to people's energies. I've always been sensitive to people's energies. That's why I like to surround myself with people who keep me like in a up, like up feeling. So for me, I would derive a lot of that based on people's energies, you know, and just being in new places and things like that. How the heck can you be sensitive to people's energies and do red carpets? Because... So I had to like match, usually I try to match people's energies when I'm on the carpet, you know, and it's like, but it's not a real, it's not like a really a real world, the red carpet, right? Because like everyone's there to do a job. It's like, it's not like you're at home, you know, it's like you're in this place that it's like, you know, you've got the lights and the cameras and all this stuff. So like naturally the energy is like higher anyway. Right. But so for me, it's like, I, I, you know, I try to match people's energies just to get them feeling comfortable enough to Mm -hmm. talk and give me those nuggets. And then Ooh, that's a trade up. secret, She's listeners. Sneaky, sneaky little Susan. No, it's so true. Oh, yeah, the mirroring. <laughs> but, it, but it also happens accidentally, right? Like you right. end up mirroring yeah. the other person because you're, yeah, you're going off each other's vibes. I, I find it really, you guys have, I'm sure both experienced also, like when you're speaking to someone who, where it just feels so discordant, like where you're like, wait, where are you? Yeah. Or like, why? Yeah, yeah there's hard. There's, that's it's hard on podcasts. Yeah. yeah. And on podcasts too, like, especially after you, Ellie, we'll be in such a foul mood. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll feel high. Like I'll feel high after this. And yeah. then I have to remember my husband's been with the kids for three hours. So I know. he might not be. I know. And then uh, you come off and you're just like, I can change the world. I can cook. I can do it. I feel great. Yeah. I want to take a bath. I'll take care of the kids. And then if their energy's less, it's like, oh, you do take on what the other person that you're stuck in quarantine mm-hmm. with is giving you, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure I do that too when I'm negative. 
I definitely bring him down as well. So we have to be careful of that, you know, especially in marriage. Are you going to be our friend after this? Yeah, I know. Can we hang uh, out? <laughs> I have a few more questions before I can make that final determination. <laughs> I think it's really strange that all three of us have six-year-old daughters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm wondering, what do you guys see this fall looking like? What are you going to do with school? Like, will it be hybrid learning? And like, how do you feel developmentally about them not getting to play with other kids? Mm, that's tough. Well, the good news is Tamman and I, our daughters are in the same school. So we'll be mm-hmm. on the same page no matter what. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, that sort of, obviously health is the most important factor. I mean, I wouldn't want to put her in a situation where it wasn't healthy for her to be in school. But at the same time, I feel like her mental health is so important to her emotional health and developmental, you know, because I, I think I was reading somewhere that our kids in this age group by not going to school are losing such a huge mm-hmm. chunk of their developmental, de- mm-hmm. you know, development, uh, social development for their lives. So it's like, Ugh. it's really scary. I know. And so that's the thing. It's like, Obviously, I want her to be healthy first and foremost, but at the same time, it weighs on me so much that she's Mm -hmm. not getting that developmental sort of um, time with her friends because at six years old, they need, you know, they do need to be with their friends and they need social interaction, you know, and that's part of growing up. And how are you handling it with having an only child as well? Because that seems Mm -hmm. like an extra hurdle. Exactly. So here's the thing. Who is the playmate when no one else? You are. Hello. (laughs) Who has to play Barbie? Mommy doesn't want to play make (laughs) make up me again. Exactly. I know. Make up me Barbie. It's like that's why I text you. You're like I can't talk right now. (laughs) I'm the play date. I'm the play date. I'm on a play date. It's hard. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. And it's like when you have an only child, like you are their play date. And so we've been doing virtual play dates, you know, on the phone and stuff like that. But it's great to let them talk on the phone with their friends, but it's not the same as having an in-person play date, you know? And it's like, in my house, it more comes down on me to be that playmate than my husband, you know? And so that's also a struggle. And that's also like a source of tension because I feel like I'm doing all of that, you know, and I work too. Right. Why does it fall on the mother? Yeah. Why does it always fall on the mom? And it's like, you know, he's able to do all of his work stuff uninterrupted and, and all the things, but yet it's like you were saying, Tamman earlier about having your little one. That's like earlier today, you know, she's in my lap. The dog is jumping on me. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do, you know, emails and it's like, it's not the same. What makes me upset though, too, is that you know, our children could probably play with a small group of kids if everyone was being really careful, but they're not. And so what happens is, you know, I had a friend who said, hey, we'll quarantine for two weeks, you quarantine for two weeks, which we, we've quarantined for four months and we will let our children play together because at least they have each other and they can play and they can touch and they don't have to wear masks. And I was like, no problem. And then she started seeing other people and going to people's houses and having people over to her house. So it's like, you know, we're still, this virus is extremely deadly and you don't know who it's going to catch. You know, some people might be fine. Like you were saying, 
your parents who got it and they are okay. Some people aren't. Even people who don't have autoimmune diseases or have existing conditions, some are 25 years old and they don't make it. So you don't know who it's going to catch. I just wish if we were all really careful, then our kids would be able to benefit you know, and because they'd be able to go to school. Yeah. And, but and instead, just just we opened know. up bars. And like, I understand that like, the economy and, and everything and I, else. Yeah. But like, oh my yeah. God. So, yes, I hear you there. I think it's also fascinating. Um, I, I, you know, we were always on the super paranoid, careful end of the spectrum. I, I've had five relatives who've gotten COVID or oh. tested positive, like five relatives. And there's so many people who are like, I don't know a single person they think it's a conspiracy. I'm like, well, I've had five relatives. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's also the friend stuff gets really tricky too. Mm -hmm. Like like you're saying, like, because there's like this, there was some early tap dancing going on via text of like, well, what about like, could our kids hang out outside or the older brothers doing it with someone else? Like maybe are you careful? Wait two weeks. And like, how careful are you? And it it becomes Mm -hmm. that question of like, you know, people are comparing it to, you know, sexual consent and, and how do you ask the yeah. questions and how are you upfront yeah. about it? And like, mm. what do you feel comfortable with? What do you not feel comfortable with? Um, but I also have had the awkwardness of um, finding out that I, I'm in a- People do it behind your back. People do it behind your back. People are uh-huh. sleeping with each other. Friends are sleeping with each other without me. And not and including you in the orgy. No, <laughs> it's so selfish, especially when I introduced them to each other. And that's like really that's hard. You like the FOMO, like pandemic FOMO is real. It is. I mean, <sighs> friendships in general, like it's, I think you really have found out who your friends are in this. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like I, yeah, I do feel like there's times, like you said, that you feel like you're left out. Friendships are weird. And it's funny. I was going to ask you this question, Ellie, on our podcast, um, but I didn't. So I'm going to ask it here is how did you find your community in LA? Because I feel like LA is a really lonely town and I feel like I'm still trying to find friends that, you know, Roxy and a couple of other people, I feel like are the only people that would really be there, you know, if shit hits the fan. Because I I do believe in Los Angeles because it's Hollywood. I feel like people's work always trumps friendships. I do. And I had even something recently where... I introduced someone to be on a project that I was on, but then I couldn't do the project because I was doing something else. Then she stayed on the project, but I introduced her to the project. Yeah. So I thought like, I thought that she would understand that like, we're kind of in this together, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, uh, there's been a lot of, I don't know. It's been, it's been hard for me. I don't know if I have the truest friends in Los Angeles. Bar you, Roxy, bar you. Um, She's like, what about me? Um, That I used to in Australia. And maybe it's just the people you grow up with. Um, But I feel like people in Los Angeles can be much more selfish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How many many years have you been here now? Like, like you're like, why don't you have any friends? <laughs> no. You're like, you've been here no. 13 years and you have no friends. friends. No friends. <laughs> Got it. Let me work on this. I'll circle back. Uh, the answer to your early question is, anyone. yes, I will be friends with you. Um, oh, yeah. You're like, that's why you asked me. <laughs> no, but I also love that you asked this because I, oof, when I moved to Los Angeles, I had a very similar experience. Um and I had a therapist. I met my husband, like fell madly in love with him. Three months later, we were engaged. Mm. 
moved in together, uh, got married a year later, and then realized I didn't have any friends um, because I had only been out here a year and all my friends before I met my husband, mm-hmm. like we'd go to bars and stuff, but there was no real connection there um, except for my one girlfriend who I met in acting class. Uh, but I had a therapist say, your homework is to make girlfriends. You need yeah. to make girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got invited to a dinner. Everyone in that little group was asked to bring one girlfriend to a dinner. And I didn't want to go to this dinner at all because I wasn't going to know anyone except for my one girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I can say that uh, four of the women at that table are still my best friends like some of my best friends today. Did you feel like your anxiety? Cause I even remember when I, you know, Teresa Palmer, I first met her, she was like, come out, come out, come out with us. And I said, no, because mm. I was, had social anxiety, you know? And I feel like if I'd had less of that, but yet I would never turn down work. Like I'd always, I'd, I'd love right. to like be, perform, like put me on stage in front of 20,000 people, I could turn that on. But it's like going to an intimate dinner. It's like, oh crap, because maybe it's because I had to show up. And like, I was like, oh my God, you see me, you see my faults and my failures, you know? And I think maybe that was my thing. And I don't know, I think in the business in Hollywood, you get, you have, you start to develop trust issues because you're always rejected and they always like, they hire you or fire you or you're this or you're that or you're too skinny or you're too fat or you're this. So I feel like I developed trust issues when I got here. And I think that seeped into relationships, you know? And I think I've met some great people, but then they always sometimes, there's like a little fuck you over, you know? And that's probably what you were saying. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I'm not meeting the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, except Roxy. Roxy, you didn't fuck me over. <laughs> She's like, what right about you? me? <laughs> I'm like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm here. But I feel like they fuck you over like I've had it so I just even like this week two of my friends kind of me over and it's it's kind of a over like you know I even had a really close girlfriend no we had nowhere to go for Christmas all the kids were like we were gonna go all the kids like last year gonna go Mm. for their house for Christmas Mm. two hours before she's like I'm so sorry like it's pretty much they got a better offer and I was like that's not friendship then that's and that was someone I knew for seven years and I was like we have nowhere to go we have nowhere to go Oh, but this no. maybe this town maybe this town breeds that it's like the next mm-hmm. the be- the bigger the better the faster the next more yeah I got so kicked in the teeth by this town and by yeah. this industry mm-hmm. and then also my husband who I thought like I would I thought I would be the breadwinner mm-hmm. and he would just be my adorable screenwriter who like <laughs> yeah. always had a hole in his waffle <laughs> knit shirt and it, he'd be so cute. Yes. Totally. <laughs> he was going to be my trophy husband. Uh-huh. And then it, like, I mean, thank God, but he ended up our careers just like winning complete, you know, I That's didn't, hard. I never really yeah. took off and, and to do, you know, going to restaurants and having like, or to parties and where people would not look me in the eye. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, I was just this, like I was an extra you know, mm-hmm. and and I resented it and I hated it. And they'd ask me what I did, like, what do you do? And I'm an actress. And then they'd really want to run away mm-hmm. because nobody wants to be around someone in this no. town who is not <laughs> doing well or who cannot mm-hmm. give you something, right? That's what they want. They want what you can bring them. That's what yeah. a lot of people in this town want. Yep. So then I think 
the magic happened with the podcast, learning to accept myself more by sharing my own stories, realizing that when people started asking me, what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, Mm -hmm. I have this, like, I have this podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get this like light in my eyes and I would get, I would come alive. And then it didn't matter what restaurant we were at or who I was with. Cause I knew that if I, I, I learned how to be present and I wasn't just standing in my own shame about like not being successful. It was about, mm-hmm. it was outward driven. It was like, well, I have this purpose. I really want moms to feel less alone. And I, mm-hmm. and I want to hear people's stories. And so then in conversation, I'd find out who they were because I was more vulnerable Roxy, I'd be so curious, like, how have you made your girlfriends in LA? So like, for me, I think the reason why um, I would call, of course, Tamman is one of my closest, dearest friends as well. But um, my like core group of best friends came from college at USC. So I moved from Texas to Los Angeles to come to college at USC. And I would say from that group of friends, like the best friends are the girls I met the first week of freshman year, you know, like a certain select, you know, group. And there was like five of them and we've still remained so close to this day. But I think that maybe was the difference because I wasn't coming out here for Hollywood. I was coming out here for undergraduate school, you know? So it was like, coming to college and like when you live during that time of like 18 years old, it's such a pivotal time. It's when you become an adult, quote unquote, even though there's so much of it, I mean, so much of it, you're still a child. You're growing up through those like very formative early adult years, you know? And it's like the experiences you go through are so bonding during that time with those people that you're going through with. And I think too, we had a very like-minded group of girlfriends. Like everybody, you know, wanted a career. Everyone went out on their own and did their thing. Everyone's really strong, really opinionated, but respectful and so accomplished in their own way that I think it just all worked out fine. But I think if I would have come out here, not with not coming to college, like just coming, you know, for the purpose of Hollywood, I think I would be, have mm-hmm. had a really difficult time meeting friends, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just such a different, it's such a different thing. It's like people want what they want from you in Hollywood. It's not like coming to college where you're all just trying to figure your shit out. And it's, you know, that Hollywood element isn't there. So yeah. I think maybe that was the difference. That dinner that I went to where everyone had to bring one person, that was a group mm-hmm. of college girlfriends. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I got piggybacked into their thing that was already preset uh-huh. at Northwestern, yeah. which is interesting. Oh, Do you, interesting. So like, yeah, I, I hear you with that. Tamman, have you done any reading on attachment theory and that kind of stuff? Because I'm curious how that might relate to friendships. No, but mm-hmm. I, I'm very codependent in my relationship. I know that. And so the quarantine has been wonderful because we are never apart. (laughs) It's when he goes off and he just directed two films recently and I found it really challenging. You know, I was with the kids and I have been a working woman since I was Mm -hmm. 16 years old. I bought bought my first property when I was 17. I've traveled the world since I was 20. Um, I love to work. Working makes me feel alive. It makes me feel like me. And so not working and being home and my husband working, and that's what you're saying, like when your husband starts working maybe even more than you, it's like, it's such a weird dynamic. 
But when you talk about attachment, and this might not even be what you're talking about, the codependency thing is not healthy, I don't think, for someone like me, because it actually, um, I think it, it makes me not feel like I'm able to cope without that other person there. But it's weird about friends. You know, I, I think you have to be a good friend to get good friends. And I don't think, and this is vulnerable for me to say, I don't think I've been a good friend. Um, I've been probably selfish. And that's only because my time is so valuable right now. I have two young children and a husband and a career. I don't have a lot of excess time. And, and then just self-care. I don't have a lot of excess time to give to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think when my children grow up, I might have more of that, but I just don't have that extra time to, to put other people's needs before my family's needs, you know? And so I feel like my next chapter is to work because I have been with my children a lot and to probably be a better friend to mm-hmm. other people and myself, which I think ultimately leads to that. I think there's so many people listening right now that are so grateful to hear you say that because (laughs) I know that female friendships are so complicated. Mm -hmm. They're so important. I think they are a lifeline to me and they are hard to have. And there were many Mm -hmm. years when I didn't have them. And when you just said that I don't have the time, I really feel you with that. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of guilt about that. And then Mm -hmm. when you add anxiety on top of it, it makes it even harder because there are times when someone will text and I just have a hard time responding to that text. Like some weird anxiety comes up, this fear of like, I don't want to get too close to this person because then even they, yeah, they'll hurt me or they'll go away or they'll pot up with other families without me. But like, you know, like there's, there is, there's, there is anxiety there. I also don't connect to that many people, which I wonder why that is. Like, I get bored easily. And that sounds mm. really shitty to say that. But like, I, if we're not talking about what's the meaning of life and also talking about we had great sex and also talking about I don't feel like I'm enough and also talking mm. about I, I need real honest to talk about, like I can't yeah. talk about the you're surface. Not a small talk. Yeah, no, you're not a small talk I don't want to talk about the surface. Yeah. And there's so many people, especially in Hollywood, it's just all bullshit. And I can't ever mm-hmm. get to the guts. Mm-hmm. And if I can't get to the guts, I'm not interested. I'm bored. Yeah. And that's why I don't. I feel like I don't find a lot of people that I can connect with. Mm-hmm. You remind me so much of Bianca Kylik, who I started you like her. Atomic- <laughs> I started- I- <laughs> I started Atomic. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. I, thought, I was like, I'm glad you guys just clarified. It's like, wait, what? Don't talk about Bianca. She start. She started Atomic Moms with me, uh, and oh. she's yes. She also loves the deep dives. Guys, I should probably put my child to bed because yes. she's still away. And that's that. Oh my god, it's seven around with her, di- her diapers like off somewhere. I'm like, okay, guys, she just shat. She just shat on the floor, but no problem. We, guys, we have just spoken for three hours. Three straight. hours. Okay, so if you're so not my friend her. after this, then I don't even know what I gotta do. So, listeners, <laughs> three hours straight of podcasting. Wow, and I haven't been. I had to like find my microphone. It's been so long. I like pulled something out of the kids. Oh my god, it's been a disaster. This has been an incredible three hours, however. Listeners, you must listen to our conversation over on their podcast, Women on Top. Tamman and Roxy, tell us where our listeners can find you. 
You can find us on Women on Top Official on Instagram. <laughs> and Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. And it's Red Carpet Roxy and Tam and Sursock on Instagram as well. Yes. Love it. Okay, everyone. And don't forget to find me too at Atomic Moms. Okay, everyone. Let's get these kids to bed. Until next time, listeners, trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Woo! Guys! Nice. <laughs>